And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies. I'm Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris, calling from my own personal ghetto-ass studio, also known as the Delta Sky Lounge at the Atlanta airport. And uh, this is Dave Schilling. Hi, Dave, Dave Schilling. Welcome Return. I believe, uh, I believe Dave Schilling is the, the first Prince Movies guest in, in the Two Timers Club. Oh, my God. I think you get a jacket. Is he, uh, the Five Timers <laughs> Club is just Steve Martin, right? <laughs> it's, we just actually, we, when we instituted the Five Timers Club, we put Steve Martin on that list. He's never been here, but we just assumed that like at some point, you know, he's like, it's, it's there. It's written in like a light font, and then it will get filled in. That's perfect. But, you know uh, what? I, I have something to strive for. Yeah. Uh, at last. Sure. A goal. But yeah, I don't think any. Yeah. I mean, to my. Uh, you know what, actually? Like, Juliet's in the Two Timers Club, Juliet Littman. So oh. there's two. Juliet, people. it's true. There's two people in that club. Wow. But uh, welcome to the club, Dave. It's good. Do I get in the Sky Lounge, too? Is that, like, part of the perks? There is a there is a key card. We'll be waiting for you and the, the instructions. Of, but it's it's which airport? This is a key it's Only certain airports. Okay. It's a, you know, it's a Dallas, a Bogota. <laughs> you know, we're in certain airports. You, you know, you can move through. Sounds quickly. great. I love it. Select airports. Well, so what are we doing this week, you guys? We're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about Empire season finale. Empire the, the well the last six episodes because Dave the last time you were here we did what the first. Five or six, correct? Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about Kendrick Lamar's album "The Pimple Butterfly," and I wanted to possibly discuss along those lines the the idea of um, conceptual coherence in in on the is the hip hop album, and um, whether or not this fulfills certain aspects of that imperative. And then uh, we will close the show with some uh, some other thoughts, some random thoughts about the South by Southwest Film Festival, which both Alex and I were at last week. Although not together. We were there in the Technically, same city. Technically, we were there at the same time. Did you not say hi to each other or like have a we hung out, brunch? <laughs> we hung out cocktails. at 1130 on a Wednesday, I think. So around, around it was the- great. It was really nice. It just was. It was the exact. It was the the one moment where we were sort of connecting. Because the whole South by the experience. I mean, if you're trying to see movies, if you're just hanging out, it's great, I guess. But like, if you're actually trying to see stuff, it's it's kind of like being on planes constantly, and like you're just always like waiting in line and showing ID, and then the flight is a movie, and then you have to go immediately connect to something else. I was started just being like, I got a tight connection for that. So if you could, you know, meet me there, you know, so you meet people in the lobby of things and you know, that's, that's what we did. So we didn't do a show from there. I apologize. You've been deprived of the uh, experience of uh, hearing us live from sixth street with some like fire hoopers and, you know, uh, folk guitarists in the background. The faint sounds of one man vomiting. Of a thousand. That's what I think of when I think of South by Southwest. It was St. Patrick's Day while we were there. Oh. I mean, I guess it yeah, always so kind of is. That's not too far off, Dave. <laughs> no, I, oh, I've been. I've been more than once. It's uh, a carnival of uh, sadness. That's all I'll say. Yeah, just rivers of, 
of something bodily fluid flowing through the streets. It's like that in Ghostbusters 2. It's that pink <laughs> slime that's running through the sewer. And it has a vaguely evil mm-hmm. feeling to it, like the slime could respond to all of your drunkenness. I saw mm-hmm. a guy cross against the light, cross uh, Congress Ave against the light, and punch a car <laughs> as it went by him. Man versus machine. Man, for, he was. He was. That's it for these horseless carriages. I've had just about enough of you. I'm fed up with you uh, using all of the world's uh, non-renewable energy. Carbon sources. footprint. <laughs> so, so basically, it's Sleepy Hollow goes to Austin. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, Alex, you sent me what I would say is a fairly amusing, slash depressing, slash barely shocking. Uh, deadline story about um, the, I don't know how to characterize it. I would say maybe like paranoia over the fear of, quote, ethnic casting yeah. in, in the television industry. Let's, I mean, let's give this, let's give this article its due. It's not, I mean, the article is not about paranoia. It, it no, documents no, no. paranoia, more, I yeah. think. Yeah. But yeah. It, it is straightforwardly – we need to talk about what it, what it sort of straightforwardly is before we can talk about what it means. It is a Deadline Hollywood story by Deadline By Nellie Andreeva. Nellie Andreeva, the former, formerly long-suffering Nellie Andreeva, who I just think of as like in the, you know, the Nikki Fink sitcom. What, you know, the sort of <laughs> – the put-upon Nellie Andreeva. Something like that, you know, that she'd be the supporting character that we'd all, you know, re- kind of root for because she'd have to put up with that as she did back in the Nikki days. But now she's running it and she's writing things like this. Uh, this is about it's about the uh, diversity epidemic that is sweeping Hollywood and taking roles away from talented uh, white actors who might otherwise have been cast in pilots. It's about sort of what the, it's about pilot season post empire. That's what the. Post Empire, the show, not Post Empire, the uh, Brett Easton Ellis concept. I feel the need <laughs> to clarify. Thanks that. for clarifying that. Thank you for clarifying that. I, yeah, we still sort of we've not figured out if Empire is Post Empire or not. But uh, yeah, so it's a, it's sort of talking about uh, a noticeable shift toward minority castings, with more parts opening up to ethnic actors, a casting term used for non-Caucasian thespes. And, uh, yeah, and it goes into this, and it has a lot of anonymous quotes from agents being kind of upset that, you know, like, you know, that there's just too many too many parts that are uh, earmarked for non-Caucasian thespes. They're taking but it's over. not just that, right? It's that there, there are projects that either historically were, were about white people that now through the magic of, of trendy casting, will feature people of color. And there are remakes of movies that previously starred all white people. Now, through the magic of trendy casting, will star more people of color. Um, I mean, that was sort of, it was sort of this weird reverse. I mean, look, I, I myself have... My number one thing about television in particular and culture in general, visual, popular visual culture, is I can always smell the diversity quota being met. You know, like I don't have a problem with an all white show 
I have a problem with a network full of all white shows. So I don't, for, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you guys stand on this, but I don't have a problem with the fact that girls is what girls is. You and I have talked about this before, Alex. Um, that that's I just actually have realistic, problem. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my problem is, like, if you're going to do something like How to Get Away with Murder, would it really hurt you to think about, like, having a world in which, you know, people of different races and, 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 and ethnic backgrounds cohabitate um, and conspire on this plot? I, I don't see what the real risk is in something like that. I just feel like uh, you find the best people for these parts and then you, you pass them accordingly and hopefully you have an eye out for having your television show reflect some aspect certain parts of this country, especially in cities in which the, the, the racial demographics bear out much more diversely than they do on most television shows set in the same cities. Right. I mean, it is still kind of a mass medium, so that would be, you know, it, 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 that would be nice. It, you know, it's it, it, it's smart that it does that, you know. But but the the thing about it is, not, the, I think we're sort of treating this article too too kindly, like it's not crazy. I think no, it's completely crazy. I think the way that because the way that we're talking about it, what the article is really saying, and what the people quoted are saying, is that this this has gone too far. This this wave has swept up, to, you know. Too far. <laughs> Empire has been on for what? Like, which one is season. all we're talking about? One season, but I mean, how many months has that season lasted? It's a, not a long no. season. I feel like episodes. it's been about <laughs> two months, something like that. And things have already gotten to the point where, you know, up is down, black, black is white, <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> It's and and it's a kind of oppression, and it's just it makes it sound like just you just can't like doors are just getting slammed in your face as a white actor in Hollywood, which I just I'm sorry I have a really hard time believing. I think the problem is that the agents are terrified of not making as much money. That's really all that it is. Is they have a roster full of white people, and maybe one or two you know quote unquote ethnics people who are slightly darker than they're used to. And they look at their roster and they say, uh, I cannot believe that uh, I don't have anybody for this show. I don't have anybody for the Uncle Buck remake <laughs> because I don't have enough ethnic actors. And so they're seeding this information to Deadline. And Deadline is just you know happy to take all of this uh, behind-the-scenes gossip and, and disseminate it. But the, the funniest part about this article is that she keeps asking, like, is this – a bad idea you know i'm not saying that ethnics shouldn't be on tv but have we gone too far (laughs) i don't think we've gone far enough uh based on the shows that are currently on tv and who knows what's going to happen um you know with pilot season this year but i think it's just a lot of it's a lot of panic it's people afraid of their bottom line getting cut and the people covering for their inability to get their actors cast and stuff probably a little bit too you know absolutely Because it covers everything. You could just say, well, look, it's the diversity explosion. What do you want? You know, it's tough out there. I have two feelings about this. I mean, well, I have one feeling, and then I have one, like, complaint. My my feeling is, what does this really solve, right? Like, the problem with these shows, if they're going to work, is the the thing that that they're going to need is, like, more than black actors or, like, non-white actors they're going to need non-white writers and they're going to need like some acknowledgement i mean 
I'm torn about this. I, I, I one of the things that, that that one of the reasons I breathe a sigh of relief with an all white show is I don't have to deal with the discomfort of 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 a writer's room not knowing what to do with with the person of color, and I am nervous with this insistence on having these you know having more non-white actors on these shows that they're not going to, I mean, that the writing won't really do anything interesting with them. They're just going to be checking a box. And I don't know if, I mean, I mean, I guess there's an argument to be made that that's progress, but I also feel like it's, it's only progress when what, when what the show is doing makes that casting matter. Is it interesting that you point that out? Because Empire is obviously one of the shows that really does tell a black story and, and is not afraid of telling a black story. But its showrunner is a white person. Uh, Eileen Chaikin is white. And so you have to ask yourself, like, was there nobody who could run that show who was black? Not that she's not doing a great job or that she doesn't deserve the job, but it's it's just it's a quirk of the system that right. there isn't that person who you – 100% think is right for that job because there aren't a lot of black showrunners in Hollywood. So that, right. I, I, and, that's, you know, Lee Daniels is around on that, on that show. Yeah. I mean, he's an, he's still an executive producer and, you know, the sensibility, I mean, you were correct though. I mean, your point is, your point is, 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 is astute and, and right. Um, and, but, you know, I mean, in some ways, I mean, part of my enthusiasm for empire is that it also in some ways feels like a miracle, right? Like, there's no reason on earth this show should work. And yet, despite all of the, all of the many odds against it, just based on, on track records and why something this absurd actually turned out to work, given what it is, is that it's, it's sort of unselfconsciously about what it's about. It's not, a, I mean, I guess it's not afraid of being a black show. And scaring people off, uh, who who would be afraid to watch such a thing? And I don't think these other shows. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what these other shows are going to do. But I mean, I mean, how quote black unquote can Uncle Buck really be? Well, first of all, they have to change the name. <laughs> yeah, I, Still, the name I, has to change. Uh, there's no guy I know that's named Buck. They're just hanging. They're hanging on to that though because there's so much brand identification <laughs> tied up in Uncle Buck. There must be some analytics that they have, like every uh, Thanksgiving when USA Network airs Uncle Buck, X number of black people watch it. And they're like, all right, well, in that case, let's um, get Mike up. forgot to turn off the television. <laughs> Oops. It just... just changes everything to have a show starring a black man called Uncle Buck. Uh, Can't for, do it. Uh, for people who don't know, that is a, a sort of somewhat outdated but uh, still kind of virulent uh, still racial slur, still a slur, underused, but still in that in that territory. Well, at least yeah, they, they didn't won't... call it Uncle Tom. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> they could have done that. That's on a dry erase board. That is that I'm came. I'm sure up... that's option number two when all the uncle, when all the people like me complaining about Uncle Buck is the title. But well, what about Uncle Tom? When the <laughs> when in the no bad ideas portion of the title brainstorming, I guarantee you that came out of somebody's mouth, and they're like, mm, no, okay. Cross that one off right away. Yeah, I mean, how good is that going to be regardless of who's in it? You know, who's in that in that position if it's not if it's not John Candy? 
I don't know. Are, are there like obsessive Uncle Buck universe fans who are outraged about this? Is it like Heimdall? Uh, I, is Uncle Buck like Heimdall? Is it the same kind of thing where it's like we need to? I don't think there's been any outrage. I don't think anyone cares. I care. There's <laughs> got to be. Completely miscalculated. On I this. I admire your faith in I the believe Uncle Buck in, fan base, but I bet Uncle there's Buck. I bet there's racist Uncle Buck fans out there who are mad. Who are mad in the guise of it should Uncle Buck was a white man, <laughs> and that's that's the Uncle Buck mythos, the mythology, and you're changing the whole thing. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who's uh, grinding their teeth about it, but I feel like they're in the minority. I have a question. So, what happens when what happens when next season nobody watches Empire? God forbid. But what happens next season when Blackish when these things sort of peak and you know the numbers for Blackish start to plateau or recede, and the same thing happens with Empire, and then you have all these shows. That, you know, there was this, like, major decision that because, you know, you have, you know, two Shonda Rhimes shows or, you know, 1.5 Shonda Rhimes shows still ratings winners and Empire ratings winner and Blackish ratings winner. What happens when those numbers start to trail off and it's so suddenly not so hot anymore to have all these brown people in your TV shows? I think yeah. we, go back, we go back to square one. I mean, this has happened before. Um, you know, when you had shows like the Jeffersons in the seventies and, and good yep, times yep, yep. and there was an, an odd couple remake that was, I remember two, that two black people is a black odd couple. And that got canceled after a few episodes. Um, barely anybody remembers it. I only found out about it because I was doing research for an article about Matthew Perry and the odd couple. Who's, uh, who were the actors? I don't even know. I don't know. Tim Reed this. from WKRP in Cincinnati, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then someone I can't recall off the top of my head. But yeah, it was it was a, a show. I, I think I saw some clips from it, but it wasn't anything to write home about. But that was a trend was to put black people on television. Because... You know, I remember that it lasted for one season, and it was like uh, 1982 to 1983, I think. Um, and it was, was it called oh, the odd I can't couple? remember now. It's called it the like new Desmond, odd couple. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. It was the new, yeah. It was they Desmond didn't even Wilson. give it its own title. It, it yeah. Ron Glass and, and De- Desmond Wilson. Oh, Ron, Ron Glass. Glass. The, I thought it was Tim yeah. Reed. Okay. Yeah. No, no, it's Ron Glass. Perfect. Uh, Fireflies, uh, Ron Glass. Yeah. This is my memory, but yeah, I mean, this is, that's, I mean, but you know, by the, but, but at that point in the 1980s, you know, TV that was the point at which white families were adopting all the black kids. And then the Cosby show happened. I mean, there was, you know, there was some movement. And then by, by the end of that era, you were in the 1990s, which was really, I mean, there's a lot of black people on TV in, you know, predominantly in sitcoms, but they were there. I mean, and I mean, just like all kinds of, I mean, Martin, for instance, like the blackest, like the blackest sitcom maybe ever. (laughs) The craziest, like least self-conscious about who his audience is and what his audience is. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the '90s really. I think it's sort of after what uh, after the UPN sort of became like you know de facto the de facto black network. It sort of took a lot of pressure off the major networks to have black people on their television shows. I mean, for a while it was pretty much ER. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, but it is weird if you live through that early '90s moment. This, it's, it's almost like why is this? How is this unusual? Like, I just, I remember, like, you know, like all of those shows being on somewhat, pretty much concurrently, or at least like, you know, around. I don't know how. I can't remember exactly how much like, like Fresh Prince, Different World, In Living Color, how those things like overlapped. But I feel like that was sort of a constant in my sort of TV watching as a kid, and it was on. You're right, Wesley, that it was like there were only there were fewer sort of outlets, and so it was like more everything was sort of more concentrated in those you know four networks, in like the right. big three. And Fox and everything. But no, this is weird. The weird thing about any of these sort of like any kind of ethnic explosion conversation is that then it's a trend that can go away and be over and dead, which I think like, honestly, that's my conspiracy theory for why we sort of talk about it this way. Because we can sort of say like, oh, the Latin explosion, Ricky Martin, and like all these like we're taking it's taken over. It's just this, like, you know, the, get that crazy spicy beat. And then it's then we can say, oh, that's dead. That's no, that's, yep. old. that's, that's dumb. So we don't have to do that anymore because like the, the Enrique Iglesias did not prove to, you know, bear out as like a, you know, the artist of our time. We don't have to care about uh, Latin people making music anymore, except for JLo, you know, like the one person gets to stay from that explosion sort of gets to be a lifetimer. And then everybody else is just sort of cast into the dustbin. And that's the way, like, we reassert, you know, hegemonies and things like that. That's why we do it. Like, you know, it's just funny to read this article where it's like, apparently in uh, at Deadline Hollywood, white is not an ethnicity. There is not. That I was convinced. Well, this not, brings to my, to my complaint, which yeah. is that the use of the term ethnic makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, the last time I checked, I mean, everybody, I'm not even, yeah. here I go doing that thing I do where I like suddenly humorless humorless wesley but i mean you know i mean everybody's got this ethnicity but for whatever reason there is i don't know when this started but you know at some point and mostly it became a i noticed it around food you know so-called ethnic food like i don't like ethnic food but i'm i'm gonna have this i'm gonna have this pierogi because it's delicious but like ethnic actors used to mean that used to mean dustin hoffman p.s like that that, like we've totally changed like what that meant in then you can just my point is only that that's how you know that it's a bs term that like it sort of can be kind of manipulated in that way it used to mean you know like elliot gould was an ethnic actor diversity casting is a thing that gets bandied about a lot too and uh you know that could be anything from a black actor to a female actor to someone in a wheelchair, to someone with a developmental disability. There are all kinds of d- diverse choices that you can make. Someone with a beard could be diverse, because how often do you see a beard on TV? I'm, I'm saying that, like, I've Very been rarely. auditioning and mm-hmm. auditioning. Yep. No beard. And now <laughs> it's so much harder for me, because now I'm a white guy with a beard. I'm doubly unwanted. Yeah. I am not hey, you'll getting always callbacks. have a home on a Duplass Brothers show, Alan. Don't worry. Man, I can be in 20 Duplass movies. There and there are go. 20 of them coming out this summer. There's 75 new yeah. Duplass movies hitting Netflix. Uh, those guys, those guys left. It's like we are somehow in a world where there is where togetherness is a show. We can still sort of say that, you know, there's too much, the, the, there's too much ethnicity on television. It's ruining everything. Like, look at that, that HBO block, that white people problems block. That is on, you know, the, it's the, a the, it's a show about Eagle Rock with <laughs> with no Hispanic people, none. They've been they've been shunted to the side. Yeah, look, it takes place in the future. <laughs> it takes place two years in the future. That's oh, how that's explained. I just got sad. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's. I don't want to. You know. Let's not be sad. Let's talk about Empire. Let, you know. And it's it's wrought all of this destruction. But uh, it, it's if I I'm still I watch that finale uh, with my jaw on the floor and it's, <laughs> I've never seen. I mean, it's it stuck the landing so brilliantly for for what it, it? what it was. It was amazing. You just you waited. I mean, like you know, we'll see. Like season two, who knows? But like this was, a, this was a perfect season of Empire in the sort of. That's what's the, so scary about it. It yeah. was perfect. And when you go back and you watch the first seven episodes of Twin Peaks, you say this is perfect television, and it's so exciting. And I can't wait to watch season two. And then you watch season two, and then it's all like, oh no, they didn't know what to do. And you know, you have to hope that they know what to do. Um, and I think they do, but. I'm st- in the back I mean, of my mind. I feel like they've got to know. I mean, they've got to know. I just want, I mean, this felt like that was, two, it was two episodes. It was the two episode finale in two halves. It felt like about five episodes somehow compressed. <laughs> you know, into, that is exactly, two hour that is space. A, I totally agree. I feel like it's funny because I usually just watch, I can only stand to watch one episode because there's so much going on. But I feel like one episode, even when you, even if you DVR'd it and you're fast forwarding through the commercials, it still feels like five hours of TV. Mm-hmm. It's a concentrated dose of drama. But we've gotten so used to uh, these inert shows like Mad Men, and I kind of alluded to this, I think, in my last my last piece about the finale. Uh, these shows okay. that are so content to not have anything happen. That it's all about the shading and the and the the, the underneath and, and and the things unsaid, and Empire says everything, <laughs> and it says it five times, so you definitely get the point. And that's what I think is refreshing, and why people, besides the the cultural, uh, you know, uh, undertones of the show or overtones of the show, uh, people are excited because it's finally a show that's just fun, that just says what it means. And just dispenses with like we'll do a plot line. You're right that would that another show would play out over two and three episodes. How long would you know on in like AMC's Empire? How long would Cookie have been <laughs> at that sort of that bodyguard cabin up in up in Vermont or wherever he was supposed yeah, to be? Yeah, like, that would she, be a special episode of this brand bottle yep. show. And like Homeland, are you kidding me? Would it, it's like that's yeah. what it felt like. It was I was like, oh, it's going to be Homeland. She's going to be up there. Like you know, it would have been the bottle episode where it's like really getting into the you know what the characters are all about. And it's like no, she's she's there for it's it's like three minutes of screen time. Yeah. It's amazing that whole that whole thing unfolds. It's like, you know, like Jamal is transformed, like Jamal's heel turn, like sort of that would have been like a season. Yeah. The, it would have taken a lot, like seven episodes for him to get to that point of the, dangling people off balconies, the Creedmoor, them. The Creedmoor takeover would have been two seasons <laughs> of just like them fighting back against Creedmoor. Yeah. Oh, man. It would be absolutely like on the, you know, on the Nerdist podcast. Like, you know, we felt like in season three and four, we had to lay pipe for the Creedmoor takeover. And then season <laughs> five and then six, finally, we could execute it. And this is like, it's like, I mean, the worry that I have continues to be. Just that, like, they will run out of road. They will. This show will, you know, just like have a creative heart attack at some point because it's just burning <laughs> through plot, an amount of plot, a rate of plot burn. But I think that's actually, you know, it's. I think that's why it's working. I think people are, you know, not that I don't love the sort of like a Mad Men episode that's all people giving each other meaningful glances across the office. I do. I like that too. But like, you don't. Not everything needs to be that, and not everything can sustain that. 
level of you know it's kind of you know tone poeminess for that long, you know, and I think this is like that's what's fun about this is you're just well, I can't I think, believe how fast we're going. No, I mean I think that's that's exactly right. And I I well one thing before we go on about like what well, I was going to ask a question in 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 challenge to our enthusiasm about this sort of like performance enhanced drug version of television plotting, but I think we should like maybe explain what has happened in the last six weeks. Um, the last five weeks and like just sort of basically what has happened that, that, you know, Lucius is, you know, the, the, the many pivots in the plot. Um, Dave, would you like to do that since I'm on a horrifying speaking device? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think the most important thing is that Lucius has been, uh, absolved of his, uh, his terminal disease by a clerical error. Um, he is now, in prison or in jail, uh, awaiting uh, uh, you know, being charged with uh, the murder of, of Bunky. It's Bunky, right? Cousin, yeah. yeah. Cousin Bunky. Cousin Bunky. Uh, which he admitted to in a fever dream that's on tape. Uh, let's remember that. Um, Cookie has been uh, shunned from Empire Entertainment because she had sex with Malcolm, everybody's favorite bodyguard played by Derek Luke. Uh, Jamal is now the heir apparent to Empire Entertainment and has become some sort of thug, <laughs> dangling people off of rooftops. Immediately poisoned. He's been in the job 48 yeah. hours. They all, have, they all have the bipolar gangster gene. It's inside all black men is to be Suge Knight. Uh, I am ready to hulk out and throw this table. I, I could do it at any moment. Uh, Hakeem's girlfriend... Um, played by Naomi Campbell, Camilla, has been sent back to England by um, by Lucius because Lucius doesn't like his son sleeping with an older woman. Uh, Andre had a very brief uh, conversion to Christianity uh, until his father, the devil, gave Jennifer Hudson the opportunity to be a wealthy pop star. Which and, she immediately sees Which she upon. took, yeah. Yeah, and she's great on stage. She's fantastic. That was a great song. That's the last the song at the tribute. I was into that. I I would that, like to see her come number. back next season. Yeah. Um, Derek Luke's character Malcolm uh, murdered a uh, a man in uh, Lucius's living room because he was threatening the family over um, what turned out to be Lucius's daughter. Who knew that Lucius slept with uh, with Raven Simone's character, who was uh, Jamal's wife uh when he was i'm sorry did you say who knew who knew who could have guessed <laughs> out of nowhere here it is lucius had sex with her um lucius has sex lucius had sex with me <laughs> he sleeps around god bless who, that guy who hasn't he had sex with not even a real person we did yet. talk about laying pipe earlier and yes. let me tell you lucius is the only one laying pipe on that show it not means something writers. different in that writer's room than yeah. it does in the what am I missing that's important? This, that's the thing. There's so many things that have happened. Anika and no, Lucius have broken up. Anika's moved on to work at Creedmoor, but um, now uh, she's back. And Anika it's... had sex with Hakeem? Yes, indeed. More than one. <laughs> that is, yeah. I mean, speaking of things that would have played out over a much longer period of time, like I, I was like, this has been 90 seconds of this plot. Oh, man, this I is a whole plot line that's 90 seconds. <laughs> that reveal was amazing of them like, logging And out. not only that, but that moment was really hot. 
Yeah. The way they both turned around and looked at him, uh-huh. that was so hot. It was sort of like they were just going to keep going while he watched, and he was just going to, I guess, you know, enjoy it in his own way. It was, I mean, but I, here's, I, was, I just want to say that this plotting thing that we're talking about goes both ways, right? Like, the plotting of, I mean, yes, on, on AMC, this version of this show, where we are, in, we'd be on season nine at this point with this show on AMC, probably. But at the same time, a soap opera, this would take a year to happen, all this stuff. On, like, All My Children, this would take a whole year. Well, yeah, but that's the most decompressed television in the world. It's just, I mean, that's designed to go on forever. And it's it's interesting that, I mean, the one thing that I thought about this, I, they maybe, they, they probably had planned this all along because, I mean, uh, you know, it's making a character's life finite like this. But I was wondering about the, the reveal of Lucius not being sick. I wondered if that was like, oh, we might have to do this for eight seasons. We should pro- it probably would behoove us, you know, even though I don't know how much time has passed in the world of Empire. Like, that's the other thing. Like, it's this weird sort of universe. Like, we talked about time in Empire. Like, maybe it's only been a month since he was diagnosed. I have no idea. <laughs> this all happened in one week. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the other way to go about it, right? Yeah. Like, instead of, like, keep leave Lucius as a, you know, have him be terminally ill. And it's like, it all takes place over two years. But then, like, the whole show, like, just, you know, spans out. I think well, I don't know anything about business, but should the IPO be some indication of something? Like, shouldn't that be some sort of time window, like some some, some sort of compressed time window that tells us like how much time has passed? I don't think that this show's depiction of the way the business world <laughs> works is necessarily tethered to fashion. No, well, that is for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> that that's part of what I like about this show is that you think about the other prestige dramas on television and they have a world that's so well thought out that everything makes sense. And, you know, Sterling Cooper's relationship to McCann and all these other agencies makes sense. Nothing on Empire makes sense. Sort of like how when you watch Star Wars for the first time, you want to, like, know what the other planets are like in the solar system. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, but, like, the nerds who love Star Wars are like, well, this takes place 30 years after the Galactic Empire was was destroyed. This is the kind of stuff that I want to... ABY. Okay. All right. All right, enough. It's called ABY. Let's... let's... Okay. Okay. Uh, But... That's what I love to do with Empire is, like, try to figure out what the hell this world means. And that's why I did that article about, like, who are the other artists in Empire Land. I think there's going to be a lot of that kind of, like, filling in the gaps one day. I'm I'm curious about uh, – I, I feel like Titan is, a, is an unanswered. I want a Titan bottle episode. <laughs> I want Kid Fofo to come back. <laughs> Travi Wild is one of my favorites. Titan, who's Wait, such, so- a, such a sycophant, by the way. Like at that in this in the finale, there's that moment when uh, you know, like when Hakeem disses his dad from the stage, and Titan has to get on the mic and be that like, "That ain't me, dog, brother <laughs> no. Lucius. I had nothing to do with that." <laughs> Shut up, Titan. <laughs> yeah, why? Nobody cares. I thought he was the toughest guy in the rap game. Right? And he's like, no, 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 no. And I don't want to start no trouble. Yeah, it's weird. It's like suddenly he's just, yeah. He's was... step and fetch it all of a sudden. It was, really... uh, yeah, it was It reminded weird. me, you remember that moment in The Color Purple when, um, <laughs> when Sophia, when Sophia comes to the, to the, there's some moment in The Color Purple, I think. I don't remember exactly what happens, but there's a point at which the band at the juke joint just like, whoop, gotta go. <laughs> and he like rolls up, the, he literally rolls down the piano and like takes off. 
And it's some weird Popeye-style ad-lib that Steven Spielberg really never does. But in, for some reason, that juke joint moment, everybody was like, whoop, time to get out of here. <laughs> they did that thing with the, you know, you run through the wall. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, wait, but here's a, here's a question. I... For all the conversation that we just had, for all the like talking we just did about so-called ethnic casting, it's amazing. What's sort of also secretly depressing about this show is the wealth of talent that's on it that doesn't really work otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, think about the number of Academy Award winning slash Academy Award nominated people on this show. The number of Grammy winners that have appeared on this show. And... You think about, like, this show is doing the same thing that Tyler Perry movies do, which is provide a haven for talented black people who can't work anywhere else or who don't get the work they probably deserve. I mean, Gabby Sidibe, you know, for all her, you know, for all the reasons I'm sure a casting director could sit here and tell us why it's hard to cast Gabby Sidibe in a movie now, she's somebody who, when she's on screen, you just want to watch her. And it's crazy that she is relegated to these, like, help parts in these films. And Taraji Henson, like, this is the best part she's ever had. And she will ever have, I'm sure. And she will probably ever have, yes, yes, yes. And, I mean, this is the problem. this, This show is not causing a problem. It is correcting a problem. It is giving people work that they would never have in a capacity in which they would never, ever have it. And I think that's the sort of, that's the exciting thing about this show. And that's the exciting thing about this, that whole wealth of black soap operas that that are on right now, which is, you know, it's not great television. A lot of it is sort of trash, but if you, if you're a fan of Gabrielle Union and you want to watch her act, you got to watch being Mary Jane because you're not going to see her do it anywhere else. You know, unless, you know, you're really interested in trolling the, uh, the the courtside seats at a heat game, you know. But, like, otherwise, you know, you're not going to see her do what she can do when given the chance to do it. And, you know, I, I just, I don't, I, we have a lack of understanding of, like, how discrimination versus diversity works. And I think until we understand that it's not just like being defensive about what opportunities people don't have and sort of be more proactive about what opportunities you can give people who are talented and not just a person of color to act, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It it sort of, it makes you, it makes me sad for, you know, the way in which these conversations progress. Yeah, I mean, look, most a lot of TV is trash. You know, yeah. that's the that they're the, like that's that's where the progress is right. going to happen because right. yeah. that's what you yeah. know because that's what the medium is. You know, and like why not? You know, why not? Like, why is that? You know, why why should that be protected? I don't know. It's just it's ridiculous to even sort of entertain. I, I think it's important that a show was made or shows are being made that appeal to a mass black audience. It would not be the same if this was a black version of Breaking Bad. Because Breaking Bad mm-hmm. is a story about white people. And you can't take a story about white people, put black people in it, and get black people to watch. Okay. Can I interrupt you for one second, Dave? Of course. Tell me how many seasons of black Breaking Bad was. 
how many seasons of Black Breaking Bad would there be, hypothetically? Yeah. Uh, how many seasons? They, there'd be one, and it would air for six episodes, and it would go exactly. away. Because it's not for us. You know? Well, it's not I mean, for it's us or by that, us. If, if you put a Mexican in Breaking Bad, it would never work. They did that, like, though. System is, Didn't they do that? Well, no, they're... There is, there is. What is it? Argentina or is it Mexico? It's a, it? it's a Mexican version of Breaking Bad. It's, yeah, yeah I, I forget what it's called, but uh, yeah, they just recycled all the plots, yeah. filmed the whole it's the whole amazing. show in three months. It's incredible because they did the whole thing, and so you could watch it and you could sort of like dip in and out, and like you could just see them. He like, looks like Walter White. No, it was amazing. It's but it, so stupid. But you would just tune in and you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is the, you know, the one with the, you know, like you know exactly which episode it was. With the, it's the one with the, 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 the pizza. I don't know if it was a pizza, but I didn't, you know, I just. Wait, I but did they, yeah. wait, it's a burrito this time. I mean, oh. I know. Yeah, obviously. Like, I mean, they're not. That's that's if we made it here. That's what right. it would be. Yeah. <clears throat> but then, um, yeah. How, how many seasons did that last? They did the. I think they did the whole thing. They did. They filmed the whole thing in like three the months. entirety of the show. It's it's a telenovela version of Breaking Bad. Yeah. So okay. it was all like thirty minute episodes, really tight, and they just you know they burned through it. It's an amazing like art but it's, object. It's in Spanish. It's for you know Spanish language audiences. It was not for us. Right. Um, no, your point is yeah. Your point is taken though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I just I really think that for these shows to work, they have to be black stories or or stories about hispanic people or stories about asian people or stories about the wide variety of human beings on this planet and unfortunately the only universal stories that can be told are about white people so we get weird loners and we get togetherness and we get all of these shows that are really just the same stories told over and over and over again with different people and of course we're sick of watching that show we're sick of the the 50th version of Friends that's on NBC with with wacky names and titles and weird plots. We're done with that. And I think Empire yeah. is the start of something hopefully fresh and different. Well, speaking of fresh and different, we'll be right back. Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. This is a world. This is a world premiere. This is a world premiere. I have been through a whole lot. Trial tribulation, but I know God. Satan wanna put me in a bow tie. Pray that the holy water don't go dry. Yeah, yeah. As I look around me, so many motherfuckers wanna tell me, but they don't gonna never tell me. I came to this kind of late. This this dropped while I was in Austin, and I I, I wanted to give it more than a, a rental car ride worth of attention. I did not want to immediately. You know, I couldn't. I was not in a position where I could drop everything that I was doing and really, you know, light a candle and sit down with it you need a panic room for this album that you just lock like jody foster lock the door and never come out yeah you really do i mean i did i did sort of feel like there is going to be a line in my biography that like eventually the non-stop uh, flow of deep naughty headphone rap releases forced him to withdraw from public life like i feel like there's all of these records that you can't you know, starting with d'angelo there's been this run of things where you really have to like to get down with it which i love in theory, but like this week sort of felt like, like when it was like, I have to sort of juggle this and Earl and Bronson and like all those things that, which is, you know, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be able to complain about. Well, we should be more specific. Like what, I mean, we should say that, you know, Earl sweatshirt, new song, new record, uh, new, you know, new record. Sorry. I don't uh, like uh S 
curse word, I Don't Go Outside, the Earl Sweatshirt album, which yeah. I, I love. Action Bronson's Mr. Wonderful just appeared out of nowhere. It's also amazing. And then, and then there's this, which dropped the, the previous week, it, you know, a surprise release. I guess the real release date was like yesterday. Yeah, it was a full week early for no reason. That's it. Well, we'll just put it out. That's what we do now. Yeah. It's like how, you know, if you're having a, if you're having a kid, they often give you the they give you a week uh they give you the due date wrong on purpose so that you don't freak out when it's 2 days late. This is what it was. <laughs> I feel like everybody there was a period that went through where everybody had that they were, you know, there's I I've decided that they just give you the week. I don't know that that's a medical practice that's real. Because of empire plot twists are very trendy now even yeah. in the music industry. Exactly. <laughs> Wait a oh, minute. Here's an album. Um Someone's so, looking I mean, at a board in the in the office, you know, the very with like a you know with those uh, big chroma key displays, you know, like that of like a who's oh, yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> I can't stop talking about. It. There's still Empire things that I have not used up, but let's talk about Kendrick. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm starting a podcast just about Empire. Guys. We're starting a podcast about Empire within this podcast. <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> no one will Please, like that. Subscribe to our podcast, uh, The Empire Effect. It's about uh, yeah. In iTunes, do that. Wesley, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to talk about the the place from which this album, the Kendrick Al, Kendrick Kendrick Lamar's album comes from. Um, you know the the ideas fueling it about. I mean, you know, race and racial conflict, and I mean, it's a concept. It's a concept album, and it is a concept album that sort of whose whose musical underbelly and you know overbelly actually um, is you know it evokes the Isley Brothers it invokes George Clinton and, and Parliament and Funkadelic um, yeah it invokes George Clinton's there and, and everybody all the way up to snoop dog and thundercat yeah. it's on you know it's the entire it's like the entire history of you know a certain sound uh, you know that he's he's trying to reach back to or he's trying to reach back to g-funk which includes any nostalgia for g-funk includes nostalgia for the 70s as well in the package yeah, yeah i mean what were you gonna say dave i'm gonna let you go i'm sorry we we've hit an impasse we have we have somewhat hit an impasse I mean, listen. This is what this is what's interesting to me about this. The initial reaction. I mean, I did. I tried to avoid reading too much about it before I'd heard it. But the initial reaction was very much about. We cannot have an initial reaction to this record. It's. It was. This is the. It's the first record that was. You know, we cannot have hot take. Hot take culture cannot be trusted with this album because it is. It is too clearly important. And it's too clearly after. You know, the, the, the game that it's after is so big that like we and, the, the, you know, the ambition of it and the sort of scope of it, we cannot snap judge it. And it's almost like it's designed to not be snap judged, it's designed to not be really digestible. And, you, you know, you kind of have to sit with it for a couple of listens before you really sort of even have a clue what's going on in it. But there was it was weird that a lot of the reviews were like, we can't review this record yet. Yeah, we yeah. just can't. We, we can't do it. We have to we have to put it aside, you know, and they're like. There was that. There was that weird. It was actually a good essay, but the way that they headlined it was strange. That Slate essay was. It was kind of like, what should white people? Speaking of speaking of of ethnicity as a baseline of the idea of not you know sort of uh, uh, you know as a norm 
like what should white people do with the un the, the sort of overwhelming blackness of Kendrick's record? I don't know. Like listen to it and make a decision. You know, we'd never say what are we going to do with the overwhelming whiteness of Seinfeld. It's like how what are should, we going to assimilate this neuroses? What should what should Mexicans do with the overwhelming whiteness of uh, the the new Jim James solo album? Like what? It's <laughs> it's the the falseness of the binary between black and white makes no sense to me it never will and, and just listen to it and empathize with his plight that's all it takes is to listen to it and feel something human but people have to like uh, intellectualize it people who don't understand what he's saying have to try to find some way to grapple with it with their mind instead of using that thing that beats in your chest and makes the blood pump in your body which is actually useful for music sometimes. Very for, much uh, so. When you're when you're listening to stuff. That's where it came from 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 Kendrick. It's from his his heart and his soul. And to try to like distill it into how do white people deal with it is is on some level insulting. And, yeah, I mean, and foolish. And I will say again that that was I I liked that was by as a Carl Wilson essay, and I liked the essay itself. But the headline was sort of insultingly reductive, and you know, that that it would. That that was that was a problem, yeah. You know, and and it's not, it, you know. And the other thing about not intellectualizing it, I feel, is like it, you know, I I have seen now that we are now in. It's not. I don't think it's a backlash period, but we're now in the sort of like the measured response period that precedes a backlash. It, it's also okay because I think it does. Uh, you could not argue that this is not from his heart. It's okay that it's a little confused. It's okay that it does not really. Like, which I, I mean, and, you know, you can debate me on this if you feel like I'm wrong, but like, I don't know that it necessarily arrives at a lot of conclusions. I think it throws out a, more ideas than I've had thrown at me by a record in quite a while. I don't think that it really gets, you know, it, I don't think it solves any of these questions, but that's okay. Yeah. I feel like he's, you know, I feel like confusion is a valid state to put forth. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's clear that like, he's really conflicted about a lot of things. I don't think that's, you know, I'm not worried about that. And that doesn't, I'm not, I'm not like, Oh, I found the bug in this system, which is that he didn't solve racism or double consciousness or like whatever, like those, that, you know, I, that's, that's fine with me. I mean, I think, you know, Yes, he gets to the end and he sort of meets the Oracle and the Oracle turns out to be Tupac and like he doesn't have any good questions for him and he just kind of lets Tupac do all the talking as uh, like Oz at the end. But that's okay too. I, you know, I think like, I don't know. And I think it worked musically on such an amazing level that like I'm not bothered by, you know, the fact that it's, it's, that it's messy and that there are loose ends to his thinking and like all that. Who cares? I, I think people are, are more uh, comfortable with ambivalence or uh, ambiguousness that is uh in television and movies and, and literature but ambiguous music is is really uh, hard for people to grasp it needs to be very didactic like tupac was always you knew where tupac stood uh about biggie smalls in hit him up he was not playing around he wanted to have sex with his wife and not in those words uh, <laughs> but this is a, this is an album by like you said a confused person and a person who's grappling with with a lot of you know uh, troubling issues uh but people just want him to make a fun party record um but I, i'm sure at some point when the dust has settled we'll just say this is brilliant and move on with our lives which is sort of well, the, the party record is what i was terrified of though mm, okay like when I came out, I was sort of, I was like, oh no, like this is, 
you know, it's the, so the like that, you know, Dr. Dre got to him somehow, you know, and like his sort of like, the, the, you know, that he had to make that like I did what I didn't need from Kendrick was the, you know, the, the, the presentable Kendrick record that everybody's going to like and that you can sort of, you know, that, that, you know, that will be a sort of a shareable consensus kind of thing. You know, I, I don't know. I, maybe people maybe people did want that. I don't know. I, I just feel like that was not what I was looking for from him. And so when that single first came out, I had some apprehension about this album. I, I needn't have worried. Yeah, most people, I feel like, had the same reaction to that that you did. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, at the at the risk of being the person who wants to intellectualize the album. No, go. Um, I mean... I do feel like it is it is talk he is he is dealing with things that are both timely and timeless involving race and identity and racism um not so much in an abstract way but in a specific you know I am an object of racism I am I am a person who identifies with a race I come from a particular place in the United States that is you know a, a, one of this country's ground zeros for a certain kind of, of segregated way of living. And so, you know, what, what I feel when I listen to this record, I mean, I don't think that it's, it's, ideal, it's not ideologically coherent. It's, as it, it's concept, it's musical, it's music, musically, it's conceptually of a piece with itself. I, can, I feel that there's a musical journey, journey happening on this record. I feel the politics sort of, move in and out of of i mean that that music is all the samples and and oh somebody has lost their cell phone in ghetto ass studios <laughs> i hope they find it it's at the bottom um, of the giant bowl of cereal um i think you know i i do think that there's a way in which there's a the incoherence of this record is both frustrating for me and kind of moving um, the frustration comes from this idea that, like, he had, I mean, it's his record, right? I mean, he could work out the ideas about, you know, his, his, his provenance as a, as, you know, as a, as a Compton resident about his place in the world as a black man, um, navigating the world that he finds himself in now as a, you know, wealthy popular artist and where he came from as a, as a poor black man. Um, you know, I, I think that there, I mean, the sloppiness, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's ambiguity that I'm having a problem with as much as it is, um, something along the lines of coherence at the same time. Um, I think song to song, and you know, there are no obvious singles on this record, which is to its credit. I do think it works as an album. I think it's, I think it's conceptually, I think it's conceptually, it, it, it is unified in terms of a listening experience. Um, I think that I, I love the way he is a performance rapper. I love this, the kind of, I mean, I love the mental illness of his approach to, to style. I like that he seems to be moving in and out of characters. Um, but I would love to see what the 37-year-old Kendrick Lamar does with some of these same ideas. Um, in the meantime, I'm sort of dazzled by this very sort of talented, 
open, sensitive guy who is thinking about things, but this album is a work of processing. And I don't, I mean, again, I'm not saying that that is a, that's inherently a problem, but you think about other, you know, the great rap concept albums, um, or the ones that I think are great. Like, you know, it would take an, uh, not, it would take an issue. Um, fear of a black planet, um, black on both sides. Um, you know, uh, sure. Out of Compton. I mean, there are, there's a kind of that you're in and you're out. And I was, I'm more willing to compare it to something like songs in the key life, which is not coherent as a theme as, you know, as a concept album, but you know, everything under that rubric, everything under the rubric of songs, like, you know, written in the key of life um, really resonates with me. And I think that that is, I think that is a much closer way of thinking maybe about this achievement. I'm sort of talking myself through <laughs> my response. I mean, I think, you know, like you listen to a song like hood politics, you know, and three songs later or four songs later, you're at I, um, and, you know, a few songs before that, you know, I think the third track on the song is King Kunta, yep. which is just, that is an astounding record. Um, that almost feels like a single. I don't know. Is that, is that, that's as close that's, as I think it'll, it'll yeah. you'll get to another like big pop song on that album. But do you guys know what I mean in terms of, of, of like how not, it's not all over the place. It's more that it's unsettled in the place that it wants to be. I, I, I find that I'm I'm wrestling with that. I think as a as a listener, I guess I just, as a thinking listener. Yeah, I guess I just think of that as a feature and not a bug. You know, I mean, I feel like that's I feel like the problem with in general with the I'm going to make a. I mean, not really any of the ones that you mentioned, but like. I'm going to I'm going to make the you know like the problem with like you know like like Nas like it was written or something like that where it's like suddenly like when somebody like has had that you know has that messianic thing sort of imbued like obviously Kendrick is one of these people that we are looking to to make a classic and a masterpiece and like people wanted to say that about Good Kid Mad City and like people were ready to say that about this and I think often like those records are they're frustrating for a different reason because they just feel so kind of solved and they feel kind of like, you know, I'm stepping up to claim my mantle and, you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to step into that zone. And like, he's, you know, Kendrick is presenting himself in a really different way on this record. He's presenting himself as like, I understand that what that expectation is. I am, I am that thing. And yet I am not that thing. And like, here I am sort of like in my, you know, sort of messiness as a human and messiness as a thinker. And like, you know, uh, all of that, like I think, all of that is is on display here. But then, like the the sort of the the musical, you know, sort of thickness and you know, sort of all everything that's going on with it musically, sort of that that, that carries the day for me, it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's you know, but I don't. I'm I'm not explaining this well, but I I feel like it's I feel like it's better that he's not trying to knit the whole thing together as much you know like i like there's people who have tried to sort of impose a very sort of like i think like noisy or something did like here's the three-act structure of this record like they didn't call it that but it's like here's the sort of the you know the different like here here's this the saga the story that's being told 
that's sort of what I meant by intellectualizing it. Less yeah. that I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, impugning the character of people who want to analyze it, and more about the reduction of like, let's turn this into an easy to digest package. Let's put a three act structure around it, or let's let's say that this has a, a, a specific meaning um, about some issue. And I don't think that that's fair to the work. I think the work deserves to be analyzed and considered and talked about, but not in such a way that it, it dumbs it down. That's what I'm afraid of, I guess, less than intellectualizing is to, is to s- simplify. Yeah, and I think that three-act, you know, not not to single out that one because mm-hmm. it's not like I feel like a lot of people are trying to, you know, I, I feel like that's, that is a dumbing down in mm-hmm. a way because it's just, it, it, you know, it, it, it's not it's not a straight narrative. And I think that's, I mean, that's what I don't like, you know, I like good kid, mad city, but that's what I don't like about it. I don't, I don't, you know, who listened to those skits more than once, right? you know, and it's, you know, the skits kind of that record. Yeah. It's sort of, and it, I mean, there's amazing songs on there, but I, 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 that, that felt like, that felt like a reach for something that it, that it didn't need. And I, I like that this is a concept album only in the sense that, you know, you have that 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 poem, which turns out to be the, you know, the sort of conversation with Tupac, you, that you have that running through it. But that's what that's what ties it together. And the rest of it, like you can put that drama in the music and have that sort of working in, you know, in, in the background and in between things. It doesn't have to be like and now here is here are some people who aren't really actors performing what's not really a movie about that's not really a story. In, you know, in, in voicemail form. All right. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it, yeah, it, I, you know, I will, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I will keep playing this for a long time. It is, it is true that you, you want to hang out with it, but. Yeah. I just don't feel like we should be afraid to like wrestle with this record in the way that, you know, it's been given to us to wrestle with. I mean, it, you know, it's ambitious, obviously, but I think it deserves. I mean, I think that the worst thing you can do if you're if you're tasked with being a critic is to back away from, you know, applying criticism to this record. You know, for fear of of breaking it or misunderstanding it. I mean, I don't know. I find that to be like the most condescending thing you can do. There Which is, is not what you've done, I'm saying. I'm just saying that reaction that you prefaced this conversation with Alex about people sort of like saying, we need to take some time to think about, yeah, I mean, you know, listen to it and I don't know. I, taking time is, to think it, about it is cowardly. I think you're right about right. that. You have, you have impressions, you have opinions. If you don't like it, just say you don't like it. And, then, and, you also, and then, it's, it's a record. You don't need an instruction manual for how to listen to it. It's not like it's not Finnegan's Wake. Yeah, I mean that's the rap geniusification of everything, right? That we need to annotate before we have to do all the homework and read all the references before we can have a visceral reaction to something. And no, you can have a visceral reaction to it. Like people are terrified to be wrong. Yeah. Critics on the internet are so afraid to then get mean emails saying, "Well, you know, you were on the wrong side of the consensus about this album or this movie." And there are some people There's no wrong. There is I mean, no he's wrong. He's not yeah. perfect. This isn't a perfect record. It's like it's it's got things wrong with it. It's ambitious and it's smart and it's feeling its way towards something. And I'm really eager to hear like the next three or four things that it's feeling its way toward, you know, I mean, he's been crowned this King of, 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 you know, he's this, he's the, you know, he's the rap God of, you know, what, since, you know, 2012. And I'm just, I mean, I'm more excited to see, 
where he takes this, then, I mean, you know, he's already proven himself not to be Lauren Hill. You know, yeah. he puts out a really <laughs> striking record and then completely dematerializes. So, I mean, he's got that going for him. He just has to, I don't know, I feel like I'm, I'm more excited to see what happens next. Um, I don't think there's been a rapper who's really, like, been the, the top dog and then aged gracefully. Or even aged to a point where what they're making is still artistically viable. Uh, I, I can't mm-hmm. really pinpoint anybody who's who's not completely just collapsed into nothingness after hitting thirty-five or forty. Um, maybe I'm wrong, guys. Anybody? Don't say Dr. Dre or Snoop Dogg. I was. Then I'll laugh. <laughs> there was a danger. Uh, There's no the danger of those words. Don't don't say Eminem or I'll laugh even harder. <laughs> yeah, don't say Eminem. Yeah, but don't disagree with that. If you don't want to get mean emails, yeah. don't suggest. By the way, that the last 17 Eminem albums have not each been a 12 mic classic. All right. Uh, but no, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you get a certain amount of time, and yeah. then then and then you're just no one saw. No one's cracked that. You know that I mean Scarface. Scarface, sure. Scarface is my vote. There's no one has cracked old man rap. There have been delightful songs that yeah. Jay Z has written. Certainly. Um, at the same time, would I not prefer to listen to his early records? Uh, of course not. I, of course, I'd prefer to listen to the, the work that he did when he was still striving. Um, is there ever going to be a, a middle aged rapper who can say that they still have? you know, all of the juice and maybe Kendrick will be that person because he's already so, um, you know, aware of himself and so vulnerable now. Hopefully that only gets to be more, um, pronounced as he becomes older. We know Drake's out. Drake said he's not making rap records after, so he's just going to make singing records. Oh, that'd be amazing. That he's just all, just going to be a vocalist. Crooning. God, just can crooning. you imagine uh, Drake with a residency at, like, the Hard Rock oh, in Vegas? Man. On some buble. That's... Taking his shirt off. and Like, Morrissey, again. He's going to be just like Morrissey. Yeah, we're back to oh. Drake and Morrissey. <laughs> I think that means, if we've, re- if we've returned... We're we're eating our own tail. Now. If we have yes, we're the, yeah. Please uh, subscribe to our Drake and Morrissey podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know we'll it's going right to happen. Back. Six God. Uh, yeah, we'll be right back. I got a bone to pick. I don't want you monkey mouth sitting in my throne again. Uh, so we have to go. I have been joking about uh, all of none of those podcasts that I've mentioned prior to this are real. This one is subscribe to Do You Like Prince Movies on iTunes and uh, leave stars. I believe five is a good number of stars. It's like Uber, you know, um, all, all of that. Uh, and uh, I believe it's time for the jam of the week. I believe we have time for just that one thing. We'll talk about South by Southwest next week. I promise. Because you're still you're still I know everybody's waiting. You all want to know what we did with our movie vacation because i watch empire every week and i feel like there's a special moment waiting to happen between one or two of these characters and it's got to be someone covering this song so can you hit me i mean it's been a long time it's been a long time yes it has 
Joe, this can, is you, the cookie can you turn person. this up in my headphones about a thousand percent? So, this is Alexander O'Neill and Sherelle, the two R&B's sexiest studio lovers. Just, just say in the days of the week. <laughs> I would love for there to be an Empire prequel set in the early 80s with just, like, freestyle music and, like... Just like the, a hint of disco. It can be called a hint of disco. I would watch that. I would watch the disco version of Empire oh, yeah. in, in, in two seconds. Uh, like a fake Barry Gordy or something. Oh, that would be amazing. Lee not? Daniels, you listen to this show. Netflix, like if that is waiting for me at, when I get home, <laughs> because that's how things happen now, I will watch <laughs> the entire thing. Um, well, this song came out in 1985. It is... It's officially Sorrel featuring Alexander O'Neill. And I don't know. I don't know how it did on the chart. It was it was the number one on my chart in '85. I remember hearing it a lot it's, when I was going to school as a kid. Yeah. But it's funny because the two of them together, Alexander O'Neill's about to come in right now. No one sings like the city. I mean, I don't know. It's just a, it's a beautiful song. He's got a Clarence Cartery kind of voice there early, and then he settles in. Mm-hmm. Yep. He had a beautiful. You might remember Alexander O'Neill's big hit, his biggest hit, the solo artist, was Fate. Remember that? Alex, do you remember this? I actually do not. Yeah. It's from 1987. If I heard uh, it, I would be able to say yes or no. But I just, it's you not. You would know. Alexander O'Neill's face. It's, it's great. I will I will make that the jam some week. Anyway, Dave Schilling, you're the best. Thanks oh, for coming by. Always and forever, guys. I love you. A- oh, a- thank you. You're welcome. Um, Dave, Jacoby, thanks for being you. Joe Fuentes, you're you're a master of mix of of mix and production and proportions. You're the best, uh, Alex. You're the you're the tippity top of the bestity best. The drippity drop, I'm if you will. Drop you're the drippity drop. I would I would I would dangle a man over a hotel <laughs> balcony for you. I would love um, to know what the context for that needing to be like. What would happen? <laughs> Wouldn't need to, one. What would we? Yeah. What would be the goal? What would we try to achieve by doing that? I don't know. He he accused you of not loving Sherelle. That that'll do it. Yeah. That works. Uh, that works. Uh, Wesley Morris, thank you. I'm glad that you were able to do this all from the uh, airport lounge. I hope Thanks. nobody. I hope nobody. I hope everybody looked at you weird. Actually. Too many. Hot, anyway, too many hot takes at the airport. Who, who is that man with those hot takes? <laughs> Good grief. Oh, my God. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports 
and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.